This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, movie lovers, to another Anatomy movie as we dissect Thor Ragnarok, because why? That's what film reviewers do. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now. Here's Popcorn Talks Anatomy of the That's right, ladies and gentlemen. If you didn't get that reference, then you have no business watching the show because it is a spoiler filled. <laughs> so, therefore, we've assumed you've seen the movie. So, pause, go see pause. the movie. <laughs> if you haven't, who hasn't? I don't know. We have Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans, what's going on? We have Marissa hey, Serafini. Hello, everyone. And we have a Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> and we're here on a Thursday. Thor on a Thursday. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Throwback Thor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I'm Phil Svitek. Excited to be here. If you're joining us for the very first time, welcome. You can always download our rundown. Uh, it's in the description box so you can follow along. If you're returning, welcome back. Um, thank you as always. And as we always do, overall impressions of Thor Ragnarok. Ladies first, Marissa. Well, I was always a general fan of the the Thor movies, the, the ones that they came out. I uh, had a fun story for the first one, but we don't have enough time to get a, get to that. But I enjoyed I've, I enjoyed the first one. I a lot happened in the second one. I was actually having a hard time remembering what happened in the second one. But I didn't really need to see the second one to really understand the third one. So I went into this one like ready, and and it came out all. F- it, I I came out excited. I had a lot of fun with this one. It was light. Um, there was a good balance of action and humor. And overall, I enjoyed this film. Okay. Did yeah, I mean, I I had uh, I had a really good time. Um, it, it it Ragnarok really keeps the MCU fresh, uh, and it has this movie has like a B movie flair and humor from unexpected places it came it was sort of kind of like the original guardians of the galaxy um it it, it, it's what like if marvel were to make flash gordon uh Mm -hmm. this is what it would look like i mean and then right down to even like the music and guitar riffs that are that's in the music um i really felt that the movie took some risks uh i i actually watched Dark World, um, because again, I hadn't seen that in such a long time. Right. Uh, like literally since it had come out, because when I pulled the Blu ray off that my was shelf, 200 movies ago at this point, <laughs> 210 to be exact, and that's just in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. I mean, sure. it, it, it was still in the plastic wrap, so oh. that, I mean, I hadn't seen it in a long time. And, and as I'm watching it, it's a good movie. It's sort of dark, but I was like going, God, they really took risks in Ragnarok. Because think about it. It's not Earth-based. It's the first Thor movie that's not Earth-based, right? They Medgar. jettisoned... Huh? Medgar. Medgar. <laughs> they, did, they jettisoned uh, Natalie Portman. She's not in it. He loses his hammer, right, early mm-hmm. on. Um uh, he gets his hair cut. I mean, he's a different character. He's a little bit looser, and I think a lot of it, and we'll talk about Chris Hemsworth, who is great, um, it had this 
trippy, self-aware absurdity to it. And like they literally rebranded the character. Now, it's not without its big green safety net in the Incredible Hulk, who is awesome in this movie. Um, you know, but we also brought in great new characters. I mean, Jeff Goldblum is the Grand Master. He's like <laughs> Barnum and Bailey wrapped into one with ego <laughs> in spades. Um, Valkyrie, Tessa Thompson, I, I loved her. Uh, you know, th- this movie for me was just a lot of fun. Even our villainess, Kate Blanchett, who chewed up the scenery, just oh, just amazing. awesome. She was she was great. Um, you know, and then uh, obviously it's the return of uh, Loki because we hadn't seen him since I think. Well, Dark he was Universe. supposed to die. Die, right, awesome, quote unquote, die. Well, at the end of Dark Universe, which is what the mini play is about, like the ending of Dark Universe. <clears throat> pardon me, but again, seeing Tom Hiddleston, like these people at this point, with the, you know, our new folks are great, but like Hiddleston, Hemsworth, uh, 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 Ruffalo. I mean, Ruffalo, they they own their characters and they're very comfortable, and you can tell that they're in. They actually. I felt like they enjoyed themselves making this movie, that they were actually laughing along with their characters as we are in the audience. And I thought that that was fantastic. It really made for a fun movie. Is it the best movie I've seen this year? Probably not, but it was definitely the movie that I needed because I had a good time. And it's been a little while since I've had a good time. So it was fun. A lot of fun. Uh, You know, Last week, you guys were very critical of the movie. This week, I'm going to be a little bit more critical of the movie. <laughs> oh, I guess See, he took his dumb pills. Here's the balance. <laughs> no, I understood the movie. I just have some critiques. Uh, no, I, I, I enjoyed it overall, but there, there was definitely, um, definitely portions where it, it's kind of like this. You know, when you have so many of these movies, um, this, as far as like fitting into the larger whole. Um, you know, it was a very spin-off, uh, one-off type of movie, you know, uh, for, for the most part, like the fact that we're on this other completely different planet and like, we're basically playing gladiator, you know, it is what it is. Like, that's the majority of the movie. We're playing gladiator. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. and so it, 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 it's just kind of, for me, as far as anything else, like, you know, I always like to get to things a little bit faster, so it, it, it that was where the bulk of it was. What well, was fun? It just took so long as part of it. I would have the thing that I, I, I really felt it missed was exploring this idea that um, that Asgard was built upon basically war, and we're pretending to be something we're not, which is peaceful people. Right. And uh, and the fact that that, <laughs> and maybe it's a commentary on the fact that you know what. We don't like being bummed out, yeah. uh, but I don't think that hit too too far on the head. I think that's more of a stretch. Um, but overall, you know, it was fun as long as you forget. You can overlook those certain elements. I, and I don't disagree with you as far as uh, I have it in my notes, the name of that planet, um, the Grandmaster's planet where, where Gladiator takes place. Sakaar? Sakaar. I mean, it took, we were on Sakaar for a long for time. For a long time. And, and, and it seemed, I was wondering too, when are we going to get off? And, and even when we get back to Asgard, I felt some stretches there seemed a little bit long. Again, it's not a perfect movie. Um, but all of the the sum of its parts really do make up its whole. Like there was like humor in this, and there was improv in this between Hulk and Thor and stuff that I just 
I found myself laughing like I did at the original Guardians of the Galaxy and even its sequel. Um, and I didn't expect it, especially, too, after watching Dark World, which I'm not going to say it's humorless. I mean, the first Thor movie had its humor, too. Like, get me another beer, and he smashes yeah. it out. Like, it has its humor. Another. Another. <laughs> it just seemed that they were more comfortable and they were able to pull it off. Don't forget there was no Seth in this movie either. I know that that Thor's group of cronies, and I know that they have a name. Forgive me, Marvel people. If somebody could maybe say what his cronies on Asgard, Mm -hmm. they pretty much get wiped out um, by Hela. Uh, But yet Seth, she played a part in Dark World and such, and I know that she ended up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, I was wondering what happened to her character, but they really, really jettisoned a lot of uh, of people that we've come to know if you've been paying attention to the Thor movies themselves, Um, and they just went this, this, I thought, a great direction, and they made fun of it. They made fun of cutting off his hair, you know, and and having Stan Lee as the barber. How does this thing work? Funny stuff. Well, I, I, I thought right from the get-go, they set it up pretty well uh, as, as far as, you know, albeit they, they did it in a very comical way. But for the purposes, I, you know, I, I found it very clever that they got out all this exposition, and, you know. And at first you're like, is this a voiceover? But no, he's talking to a, a skeleton. Right. And just because he's just trying to pass time. And, and so I thought it worked comedically. But definitely it disguised the fact of, like, for, for those people that aren't aware of what the hell's going on, right? it was perfectly fine. It was a nice, fun recap to to the last. Because I was one of those people. I was like, oh, thank you for, you know, laying that down so I don't have the whole film to wonder what the heck happened. Right. Um, I like that. It was funny. I thought the, the humor was really consistent throughout this entire film. There really wasn't a, a boring or dead moment where I lost my attention because in the first five minutes of this film, I was laughing. In the last five minutes, I was laughing. And yeah. it takes a lot for me to get to laugh, apparently, in films. So <laughs> I thought that the humor was very consistent throughout. I'll, yeah. I'll say something blasphemous, I know. Okay. I didn't love Jeff Goldblum's character. Really? I, I thought th- he was over the You top. thought he was better yeah. in Independence Day? <laughs> you thought... <laughs> You I just—it reminded me of. You thought he was better in Independence Day Resurgence? No, I didn't. I, I thought it was just—it was just too much over the top. Like it was just okay. absurdity for the sake of absurdity. Um, it felt like I've never loved the Fifth Element either. And when they go like on that spaceship and not to sidetrack it, but it just felt kind of like cheesy in, in a Fifth Element type of way. Like a Chris Tucker fifth element. Yes. Anyway. See, yeah, but he wasn't yelling. See, for me, and again, you know, being a Jeff Goldblum fan, like, to me, this is his best role since, like, Jurassic Park or the first Independence Day. I'm trying to think what else he may have been in between, but this was, like, sort of kind of made for him. And being that you find out, quote unquote, that he is the brother of Benicio del Toro's The Collector guy, who he too is very. Uh, uh, flamboyant and he chews up the scenery I just thought he was I don't know for me he was very his ego was very funny like when he crashed at the end like he had some funny lines and he, he thankfully wasn't yelling because I, I agree with you 100% about the fifth album <laughs> to right. be honest with you like I, I understand that too but I, I didn't mind Jeff <clears throat> Goldblum's character because I just found the irony of it somewhat comedic because <laughs> he like when they're actually in that luxurious building and where right. they stay at 
basically their palace. It's so beautiful and gorgeous and rich in inside and colorful. And then you look outside, it's literally a, a dump. It's a garbage dump. Yeah, it's a dump. <laughs> um, so I found the, the contrasting um, comparisons there. I, I, I found the irony like a little funny, yeah. but I didn't mind it. I didn't find his character like too annoying, but just funny enough. Yeah, I just enjoyed it. It was to me, it was good to see Goldblum back into that form. Speaking of Goldblum, I just I just got a movie called Into the Night, in which he's in with Michelle Pfeiffer, and I hadn't seen that one in a while. But that guy's this guy's had a stretch. I mean, he was fantastic in Buckaroo Banzai. Uh, he was great in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, this guy's been doing it for a while, and obviously he's great in Jurassic Park. Is he in Malcolm and and even that first Independence Day? Um, he's his yeah, character, like even though he's sort of the same, he's different. And in this movie, I found him to be different. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, like they, they obviously made a choice for him to not have blue skin because he wanted to not detract from Jeff Goldblum's personality. Sure, but I, I wouldn't have mind it if they did detract. Like for example, like when you say all those things, like I actually think like his his better role more recently in him just being Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum, was in uh, the League on FX. Okay. And I'd like if you want to see him sort of be just Jeff Goldblum, I yeah. thought that was a better use of, of his abilities um, versus this because, like, I did feel like I'm watching Jeff, you know, and, you know, knowing that, like, he was supposed to have blue skin, I, I actually would have probably preferred that. Interesting. You know? Oh. His blue coat was enough. <laughs> yes. Um, anyway. It, it, again, like everybody else, it looked like he had fun. And I think a lot of that is part to uh, the director, our new director on this one. They, they've each had different directors, and he he, he allowed these actors to, to explore and have a good time, it seemed mm-hmm. like. And he, he knew when to say cut, too, because whatever improvisation was going on, it never went on too long, which can kill a comedic beat. Well, as far as, yeah, about 80% of the movie was improvised, yeah. which is insane for a Marvel movie. For a movie of this... For any movie of this budget and caliber, yes, yes that's insane. <laughs> that well, Disney budget, but it. also it has to fit <clears throat> very fine tuned into a grant. You know what I mean? True. Like it's very okay. You get a big budget, fine. Have a standoff movie. Have fun with it. It's a whole other thing when it has to fit <laughs> into something else, right? And especially like this is the seventeenth movie. You know, yeah, it's 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 quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, Again, another risk that they that I think that they chose to take and I think wisely so I mean it, it really did I don't know when I saw it it was really packed right and the audiences were eating it up they just loved it they loved the Hulk in fact I heard from so many different people around me going that's the Hulk we've been waiting for that's the awesomest Hulk and we I like the out. Hulk and uh, I don't want to say it, it, <clears throat> we'll, we can talk about this a little bit later um, I just didn't like that they gave away that he was, you know, it could have been a great reveal, and in the movie it was meant as a reveal. It seemed like, um, but let, can let's, we? I want to pin that because we're going to pin it. Yeah, I gave let's, that a lot of thought. Let's um, let's backtrack a little bit because, um, and uh, so let's go sort of back to Ant Man. Let's go back to Alan, who directed uh, the Dark World, um, where it was getting to a place uh, Marvel wise where a lot of directors were felt like. Well, not all of them, but but enough directors kind of felt pin, pinned down in terms of their artistic vision. The way Alan says Dark World, like, the movie he shot, he had complete freedom. The movie that was edited was not the movie he shot. Right. 
Um, I, you know, if you want to know everything about Ant Man, just revisit Anatomy of Movie, right? You know, and what happened there with Edgar Wright, right? Uh, so it's it's interesting in that way because I think a Marvel's adjusting to that, and b, um, well, I guess I don't know. I want I want before I lay down my take on it, um, I want to get your guys' perspective on this because, as you, you guys keep mentioning, it is it is a huge risk. It is a huge departure, and from your perspective. How did we allow this to happen? Obviously a great result, but how did we allow it to happen? Right, and I think it's just, yes, this is the third in the Thor, but we've seen Thor consistently within the last few Marvel films. So I think they're they're so well-established in their characters and the stories and um, the universe that in the world that they set up for, for these characters. I mean, the first Thor came out in 2010. It's already been right. seven to eight years since this has been, you know, in the works and in production and stuff. So it's like they've been with these characters for a long enough time to know what the fans expect out of these characters and um, and how the characters would act in the storylines in the world. So I'm glad that they gave them creative freedom because it doesn't seem like they, they strayed away too far from their characters. Like, it, there weren't moments where I'm like, oh, Thor wouldn't do that, you know? Um, I, I still felt they, they had the ability to go a little, I don't want to say crazy, but they had the ability to try new things but still stay within the characters that we all know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because uh, Eric Pearson, one of the writers of this, um, he was brought on, and actually his history with the Marvel Universe is actually somewhat fascinating and interesting, and I think it could be like a a writer's, a, a comic writer's uh, dream. But just to this question, you know, they approached it, and I thought wisely so, that Thor, who's from Asgard, has been spending a lot of time on Earth. You know, he'd taken an, a, a human girlfriend. Um, the Avengers, those two movies, were very Earth-based. Uh, so he'd been on Earth a long time. He'd been away from home. So coming home, he's, it's sort of like when you go home after being away for a while. You should have been called Thor Homecoming. It's, it's <laughs> Thor, yeah, yeah. Or, uh, or homecoming so he's taking everything from him from earth so almost it's like he's a it's almost like he's a fish out of water he hadn't been to asgard seemingly in a long time right so i think that for making this and as as pearson even calls it this is like a new thor it's a thor 2.0 and i think i I think that marvel and kevin feige they, they they recognize this uh, I think they still had their template. Like, you can't, you cannot do this. You cannot, this is what we're leading into. You have mm-hmm. to lead into here. I still think that they had the pressure on him to, to, you know, to make a movie that's within the confines of this MCU, right? Because that's extremely important. But they also integrated some of the trippy Thor stuff uh, that Eric Pearson said he grew up as a kid reading. And they sort of integrated it in there. He'd always loved the character. He wanted to make it fun. And they did. And they took the audiences away from our Earthbound adventures, right? And they gave us an insight into what the Thor world could be, whether it's, you know, that time I turned you into a frog, which actually happened in the comic books for a good amount of books, from what I understand. So... Thor was already a little bit trippy, and I think that Marvel recognizing that and being that this is a true Thor movie off, you know, off Earth, 
I, I think they it, it seemed as if they were okay with it, but they still had to play within the parameters of this is what you can and can't do. And even though you're improvising, I wonder how many takes. Like, because if you say the wrong thing, you got to go up to do it again, and you still have a script. It's not like they were doing Curb Your Enthusiasm, yeah. right? So they they still had a script to go through. Um, it just seemed they allowed the actors freedom, f- yeah, and and comfort too, because mm-hmm. I just haven't seen them like. Hemsworth was extremely comfortable in this role, as was Hiddleston and Ruffalo. Even when he's playing Banner, you know, his banter was like we saw different sides of these characters, which I think is fantastic. But we know that we're going to come up to this Infinity War. And now it's going to be how do we get these pieces of the puzzle together? Because that won't be as improvised. You know, they had to be. They had to be left you know, off like at a particular checkpoints, spot. Checkpoints, you know. Yeah, They're checkpoints. Like, perfect. Out, like yeah. outlines and, and checkpoints in in the script. It's like you know you have to get to this certain plot point. So take whatever means it takes you to get there. You know, so long as they hit the certain beats within the storyline that still makes sense for the whole mm-hmm. film to actually come together and fit within this universe. Um, I'm glad that. They now are they're comfortable with their actors, and they have some trust in their actors to get to that level and get to that point. Well, even as far as direction, he was obviously an unconventional choice because, mm-hmm. um, and he's even openly said like he doesn't want to do big budget movies because it sort of loses the artistic vision of it. And so the fact that you know, in essence, not. You know, it was almost like an open call of like, "Hey, send us your ideas of what you would kind of what your style would be for Thor." And uh, he put together a sizzle reel, cutting up various bits and pieces, using right. bits from the other movies, especially Thor. Um, and as far you, you know, this crosses into many levels, but uh, he basically scored it to "Immigrant Song" because mm-hmm. he, felt, you know, it, it tied into North mythology and him and. And obviously, then that carries over to the movie, and as well as the marketing heavily. Yeah. So, um, oh, he, they 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 got their licensing fee. You know, <laughs> they made use the best use possible for paying for that song. They used maybe, it. but but it also but it, it, it was seemed, great. It seemed uh, like, like it. as far as him, like it, it just seems like translating what his original vision was mm-hmm. to the final product in all aspects. Right. <laughs> mission accomplished. Yeah. yeah. You know, so uh, it, it, it's quite interesting that, you know, he was able to do that. And they said, yeah, OK, we, we get your vision. Go for it. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, in essence, like to me, this is not like I understand Guardians of the Galaxy is part of all this. But, you know, it felt more like Guardians of the Galaxy versus, you know, Iron Man, you know, yeah. for, for, for that matter. And Iron Man, let, let's be honest, each of the movies, whether it's been Iron Man, um, uh, Captain America, uh, Thor, They've all had their humor. I mean, it's it's one of the things when people are looking at DC movies, they saying, well, it lacks. They always say it lacks the humor of the Marvel movies, right? Ant Man obviously has its humor. Guardians of the Galaxy, well, that was just a different bird altogether. But they've all had humor in them, whether it's character banter, um, slapstick, slapstick, or something that the Hulk does. And again, the recalls in this movie were hysterical, <laughs> <It hurts. laughs> and so. They've always had their humor. Uh, it's it's when you're taking them out of this Avengers 
which again, those movies had their humor too. I, I thought putting him the, in the Revengers, putting him in the Revengers. <laughs> so, and I just appreciated the comfort level this time because we know that we're going to go into some serious dark times with with the uh, Infinity Gauntlet uh, and these stones, the Infinity Stones. So um, I'm sure there'll still be humor, but we're going into some dark times for the MCU. Yeah. So. Well, that, that's the thing. I don't want. <clears throat> I, I just don't want it to become too much of a habit where um, all of a sudden these side movies, you know, are just more humorous, so we can get to the darker stuff and other things. Like, True. It, you know, um, we've talked about this before. Like, you know, they get together when the Avengers get together when a problem is truly insurmountable. Um, as far as like she's concerned, you know, Asgard's about to fall. So, you know what? Thor can handle that on his own. Right. Obviously, probably be easier if he had all the help. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, uh, but but it's still, you know, part of me, it's just uh, that that was, I'll, I'll let that be the critical aspect of this movie, that the threat, yes, it's explored in terms of, wow, she's very powerful, but we don't explore in terms of the psychology and beyond that. Right, it, and it don't forget, we did have, you know, he did have a team behind him, right? It didn't need to be the Avengers. He finds his good buddy Hulk, right? Yeah. So we have Hulk, we have Valkyrie, you know, who comes into her own and she's awesome. And then of course we get Loki, who, you know, he's just, he's so gleefully duplicitous, <laughs> Hiddleston, that He's I that like reluctant him. hero. I don't Almost really want to say like, hero, but... I like it when he's on the good guy's side. Right. <laughs> but you know he's going to screw you over. <laughs> so um, so we had a good team, but you're right. Like, there was nothing insurmountable in Dark World that Thor couldn't, you know, handle. But he, too, even had a little bit of help from his human friends, you know? I, I enjoy these little one-offs. Um Captain America, I don't think, is going to go down that humor road. It, it really can't. I mean, Steve Rogers isn't that kind of a character. But I think with Thor, you're able to become a little bit more self-aware and get away with it. Where Captain America, we are dealing, there's humor in there, but they're dealing with a little bit serious, you know, uh, Captain ramifications. Captain America, his character is not a comedic guy. True. He's a very serious True. guy. In fact, so. fun is made at his expense. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, he represents, you know, he's in essence kind of like a Superman character. We re- represents the red, white, and blue and the ideals that, you know, right. America mm-hmm. represents. And when you yeah. look at uh, uh, Iron Man, that humor comes from Tony Stark's and Robert Downey Jr.'s sarcasm. You know, humorous. Yeah. You know, the banter he has with the kid in Iron Man 3. Historical to me, um, it's just a different kind of humor. And Guardians was the one that sort of kind of opened up those floodgates because it just gave us something new and fresh. And I think that's why it was so popular. This one's popular because it's sort of in that mold, uh, but it's a character that now I think has earned his place within the MCU. I mean, this is a Nordic Scott. I didn't expect the first movie to be all that great, and surprisingly, it was. And I enjoyed the second one. In this one, I think he's really solidified himself as a Marvel favorite in the in the um, movie universe. Yeah. So let's 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 talk about uh, Odin's death because that's obviously it, it sets off a lot of this. Um, they did actually reshoot a lot of the death scene because it was he was supposed to be a homeless guy in, in the middle of New York. They felt obviously that didn't have quite the weight and the. Uh, 
respect, if you will, mm-hmm. um, that Odin really deserved. So instead, they put him off to Norway, um, which is sort of a, it's not an Easter egg, but it, it's certainly a, an homage to his roots. Yeah, I did like that change because the, as sad as it is, like we live in LA, we see a lot of homeless people, and it doesn't matter like where you are in the country. So I think that just putting him in New York as a homeless person, it kind of hits a, a little close to home with people who might be watching this. So I'm glad that they isolated him by himself in his own country in, in that sense. And it, it gave him like some some solitude, but also some loneliness, and you felt that for him at the end. But um, I, I like that they, because he he's now just by himself, and I think that's just a sad notion. Yeah, to me, for, for me, um, and I agree uh, regarding the homeless thing, for me, this led to, there was a nobility. There was almost like, a knight's nobility in this. He was in this beautiful place, right? Uh, I, I appreciated it more. Um, so, and to your point, Marissa, I, I agree with you. If you made him sort of a demented, homeless person, yeah, wow, that's really deep and dark and not necessarily the, the tone in this movie, in any case. But if you have that noble, lone death, like, this is our home. Bring them here, because it was a beautiful spot. It was, and the problem with New York, I I mean, I don't know what they've fully shot, but New York, to me, doesn't represent calm. You know, so, like, there's Thor trying to have a deep, intimate moment, and some guys could be screaming, get off the street, (laughs) you bum. It's like, you know, we need that moment of that seriousness and, and, you know, in a sense, like, the ability to cry, if if you wanted Mm -hmm. to, in that moment, because it is a, a... it's touching, yeah. even for Loki. And, and and again, if you put it in New York, too, that sort of kind of puts it in the Avengers universe, in a sense, because right. that's where they are, you know? I think taking it to where they are, it was just, it set up something very nice, warmth, sympathetic, uh, and it's what he would want. And it's where he wants his, he, wa- he wants the Asgardians to be there. To follow I, thought, him. I thought the tie-in with Doctor Strange was actually worked really well in this instance. I, I love that, and I love the, the Easter egg when there's the whole address. I was like, oh, it has to be. <laughs> like right. the, the Easter egg to Sherlock. I was like, this is brilliant. Yeah. Um, I thought it was great, and Benning did come back. I mean, I love him. Who doesn't? Uh, I, for his five minutes on screen, he he literally moved him moved people forward and the story forward uh-huh. to, to the places that they needed to be because it makes sense to bring the person, like, how do you get from one place to one place if he doesn't right. have Asgard... Um, portal jumping for him port- to help. Right. So uh, it just makes sense to bring someone else and who can have that ability and get him from point A to point B. That was a fantastic secret, by the ways. Okay, I mean, I know we're going to talk about the Hulk in a little bit. <laughs> but it was fantastic secret because even as an audience member, when Loki, was it Loki or Thor, when that gold ring was coming, it was like, mm-hmm. wait, what's happening here? And I was like going, what the hell's happening here? And then all of a sudden, when you're like, oh my gosh. And when you saw it him, it was Thor because he went straight to New York. Yeah, it was great. It was a, it was one of those moments again that I appreciated for this movie where I said, "In the, I, oh my god, that's Doctor Strange!" And I knew you knew Doctor Strange was in the movie. They just since they just never talked about it, I completely forgot about it that he was going to be because I had heard that he was filming scenes for this. 
Yeah. But I didn't even think about it. And so when I walked, watched it, it was, a, it was a great surprise. For me, it was a great surprise. It's certainly not anywhere, in, for me, in the marketing. Like, it's not in the trailer, so I didn't, uh, <clears throat> I didn't notice it. And furthermore, as far as the scene was concerned, like, that was... It rarely happens where the scene that we get in the movie is the scene <laughs> in Doctor Strange. Yes. Because it, it was, right. you know, um, part of that was in the post credit sequence. And generally, so that's like, okay, we're done with that. You're never going to see that again. And so the fact that we literally see that plus expansion, yeah, like, oh, this is cool. It was good. I, I, that's how they, I really want them to kind of do it in that way. Because yeah. I, I, I like that a little bit more. Yeah, and it was, it was just a lot of fun. And Benedict Cumberbatch, again, looking as if he, too, will become more comfortable with this role. And he, you know, he's just had a lot of fun doing that and playing off of, uh, playing off of Thor, Hemsworth. Yeah, and I'm, I'm excited to see a lot more of them. Uh, you know, powers-wise, they seem to match somewhat nicely. They're mm-hmm. both uh, mythical, or in the sure. mystical art. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it just ties in nicely as yeah. opposed to Tony Stark with his science. Right. Well, and also just that for the five minutes that Strange was on screen, it shows that he really has. Uh, learned his his power and his craft, oh. and he he can do whatever the heck he wants because yeah. he knows he's really focused on it and honed his his abilities. So I can't wait for the next one. Yeah, and of course it's gonna it, be ridiculous. And of course it all comes back to Loki. Right, <laughs> your brothers lose out. They care of him. <laughs> like that was really and funny stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, brilliant. Yeah, they played brilliant. it again. They played it with fine humor. Um, and again, it still stays within the boundaries of this MCU. It doesn't break anything. Uh, yeah, very, very well done uh, on that integration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your favorite new character. That anyone who oh, wants to jump well, in. Yeah, our Go favorite ahead. new character? I, I mean, I love Kate As Blanchett. opposed to who? <laughs> well, I mean, there was a lot of few people there were so, a lot yeah, of in new this characters one. Well, I know. So pick, pick a favorite and I talk about them. I love Kate them. Blanchett. She's an amazing actress in everything that she does. Um, I I loved Hilla because she was so cool. I mean, she was badass, and she can, like, wipe out an entire army at the, the flick of her wrist. Yeah. But she, and, and, you know, you don't want to root for her, but she's so badass, and she makes it look so cool. I was like, I don't care how villainous this woman is. I want to watch her, like, kill everybody, yeah. as terrible as that sounds. She was just. <laughs> she has such a presence on screen, she does. and it's always great when you have a very strong male protagonist, as you see, you know, or just like a, any protagonist. And because when you make a villain equal or even more stronger than your protagonist, that's what makes for a more satisfying ending. Um, when the protagonist, you know, dies, quote unquote, or whatever. But when you have an equal or better villain. That's what makes it fun. Absolutely. I mean, your hero is, is only is only as good as your villain, right? Exactly. You can look at, at, at Hela, Kate Blanchett as Hela, and to me, she chewed up the scenery just as much as James Goldblum did, just differently. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, yes. uh, him too. And no, you said James. Jeff, did I yeah. say James? Well, yeah. him, Jeff as well. Grandmaster. So, Grandmaster. She chewed up the scenery just in a different way. It was just the way she... With like antlers. when her headdress cool. and her antlers came out, she was 
great, and she ate up the role. You know, this isn't the first time she's played a villain in a fantasy world. She was in Crystal Skull. She was a villain there. And she didn't need to be a fan. I was, I was uh, seeing where you were going with that, but the fact that that's a fantasy movie is insane. Well, I forgot she was even in that. Yeah, anyway, you know, we won't talk like about a, that. Like a, an action-adventure movie. So, But she chewed up the scenery there as well, and but as Hela... Again, she was a, she was the perfect villain where you didn't need the Avengers, but you needed Thor and his team. The, you needed Asgard to fight her as a whole and come together. That she was, uh, and she played it fantastically. She really did. I thought, you know, um, I thought she was wonderful too. Um, as far as you know, as far as how she kind of even wanted to get into the role, uh, her kids kind of urged her to do it. Um, which I think is great. We see this a lot with Marvel movies and Disney movies. And, and, yeah, and DC movies. And, you know, people yeah. want to, you should do this because it's Harry Potter. I, I think we should, like, When kids your kids prove. tell you to do it, you <laughs> do, do it. it. <laughs> well, that's how Vin Diesel got to be Crute. He's like, uh, yeah. anyway. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I thought she did wonderful, too. And that's, that's why I do feel a little bit slighted because, yes, I thought the action was all well and good. But um, I thought the greatest thing that this movie had going for it was the different ideologies between Thor and her. Yes, you know, they had separate powers. And, you know, Thor, up until the end, he's a little bit weaker. Um, but his ideology should have won out. Not it just all of a sudden he gets this pure strength. Well, I think he, I think his ideology did rule out, and that's why he won, because it was his ideology changed from I don't have to save a planet, and it came from his dad, it came from Odin. I don't have to save a planet; I just have to save my people. You know, Asgard, it, it's the Asgardians, it's the people who make that planet, and we can put them almost anywhere. They're going to be Asgardians. They're going to be true, and I think that's what gave him. Uh, his power. There was like a dichotomy between hero and villain. The other great thing about it, though, is early on, our hero loses what he believes to be his greatest power, which is his hammer. And the movie is, how can I be Thor without my hammer? And realizing that he actually is He's called the God of Thunder for a reason. And when he thunders out, mm -hmm. those scenes were those scenes were great. He becomes into his well, he's he becomes into his, his own. So I like that journey. Uh, I, oh, go oh, ahead, oh, go sorry. ahead. No, no, no. I think because this isn't the first time we've also seen that same thing. Just in Spider Man Homecoming, we had the whole scene where Peter Parker was like, who am I without the suit? I'm nothing without the suit. And Tony Stark says the great line, like, if you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. So it's it's the, the whole idea of, like, it's not the things that make you who you are. It's what you are and how you handle yeah, the, I mean, the things that the, help you. It goes back to Superman, too, Right, I mean, there, there's just, like, it's, it's a recurring theme. So I, I like that, and I liked how he finally... Thor finally got to that realization, like, oh, the power is actually within me, you know. Um, and he can still helps. beat the hell out of people oh, without absolutely. the hammer. I was like, he has the Bruce strength anyways. <laughs> right. He's fine. But, um, but so, like, I like that self-realization with Thor, but also with Hela, he, Hela, Hela and her story, her villain story. She also had a humanistic story to herself when they established her being outcasted by her own father. That I was like, that that was a more humanistic, darker right. 
psychological type of storyline that a lot of people might relate to, like being outcasted by their own family members and that, and being replaced, quote unquote. I I, I found that's a, um, a vulnerable type of storyline that people could connect to this villain, and you actually felt for her too. Right. So well, I, 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 as far as new characters and this ties in, I felt Valkyrie was actually underutilized because given her history, given her knowledge of the history, she could have, like, instead of Odin being the one to tell Thor, like, your power's from within, A, I think Thor could have realized that himself, but with the help and push of Valkyrie sort of providing us more backstory bits. Perhaps. I mean, I was going to say, Valkyrie to me was my favorite new character, uh, I'm a fan of Tessa Thompson, uh, but I, I thought the way that she played Valkyrie, and because we don't, we get bits and pieces of that character along the way. Again, it's another character who's lost her way and who's coming back. She's she's the only survivor of a huge war against Hela, where, where all of the Valkyries were wiped out. And she is lost. She's drunk. She plays. She 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 her also drunken her drunken entrance <laughs> was hysterical. It was great. And and to, again, it was a, a self aware. It was a journey for her to come back to what she is. Doesn't mean she's not going to drink. <laughs> but I think that Thor helped her out with that journey. Again, for Thor. He didn't really lose. I mean, he lost his hammer, but he's still pretty powerful. The mere fact that he can hang tough with the Hulk in, a, in an arena and do pretty good, right? Um, it was just he was just becoming. It was that rite of passage for Thor. I mean, he's he's above and beyond being a teenager at this point, but he still had this rite of passage of becoming what he's supposed to be. This 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 ruler, this god. Uh, Valkyrie is a Valkyrie, and and she lost touch with what that is, and she just became a bounty hunter, and she would drink to forget. But when she realized and, and realized what the stakes were, uh, I, I just really liked the way that she was played by Tessa Thompson because she was drunk, but yet she was tough as nails, and she could kick ass great, and she was a good partner to Thor. And I was wondering, well, she she balanced Thor yeah. and like kept him in check. Yeah, and, and challenged him, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, we had uh, Hello, who's you know strong in and of herself, but I I think Valkyrie, you know, Tessa, she she did a great job of like keeping him in line. Yeah, and um, like, and they I think they they were both um, good for each other in that way, where they had to realize like get over their past and move forward. Yeah, move forward. And again, we have a, a, a superhero movie that. I, I can't say enough. We had two really strong female characters, regardless of one being a villain. She's still a strong character. Still she's awesome. A, yeah, she's still awesome. And Tessa Thompson played a great drunken mercenary finding her way. And she wasn't just a romantic foil. She wasn't uh, She wasn't a damsel in distress, necessarily. She was great. She could kick ass. Uh, I really re- I, I and appreciated that. And she could that. fly. She could fly. Okay. Yeah, that was great, too. Arguably the best pilot. Well, that's, it was surprising <clears throat> to me where, like, she's being touted as the love interest for Thor. And granted, yes, but overall, I didn't get any, like, on the surface of it all, I didn't get any sort of hint towards that. Um, you know, apart from okay, he's a guy, she's a girl. 
I felt that there was really a little bit of an attraction. Maybe it, that was my attraction. But there I was. I think there was a little between them. But again, I was thinking, what about Seth? What happened to her? Mm-hmm. If anybody knows what happened to that character, because mm. the last time I remember seeing her was on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think. Um, so oh, I don't know as far she, as, like, they, they, they also explained Jane Fox, like, they just broke up. <laughs> they just yeah. broke up. <laughs> Whatever that may have been, they just broke up. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> And but, to your point, though, Hello was the hardest character actually uh, she was uh, awesome. to write. Um, they were they were they were saying uh, because there was an intimidation factor of it being Kate Blanchett, who I would say the very least tied with a couple of others for the best in the world. And we're moving so fast that uh, right, I had to turn the script around so fast. The first two months, January, February, his weekend man, he got to work home on Sunday and was in the office until two, three in the morning. He goes, he wanted to give Hella that speech, which was a great speech, mm, right? Fantastic. It was, a, it was a great speech, and you don't normally you need a charismatic actor to to, to pull that off. Um, so, uh, well, like you need an actor. An actor who has that presence and credibility mm-hmm. um, and believability when she's, you know, spouting this whole monologue, you're going to believe her. Do I say gravitas? Yeah, gravitas. Do I, do I, do I say gravitas. gravitas? Yeah. She was, she, and she delivered that speech. And to your point, it's like, you know, she's, a, she's a cool villain. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, you better listen to her because yeah. she, she means it. Yeah. Um, I also, like, overall, one of my things that I actually did enjoy was the the overall narrative where we begin with this thing where like when you kind of look at Ragnarok um in a sense I thought they almost uh, and sorry maybe it's just because we're talking about Kate Blanchett um mm-hmm. Indiana Jones has this sort of feel where we get a little bit of side adventure first then we get to the main adventure sure. and mm-hmm. the two the are completely right. un- unrelated mm-hmm. but whereas this his little his little side mission at the beginning was directly related and what I appreciated that he thought like he had stopped uh, Ragnarok, and yet it only kind of propelled things forward because he brought the crown right literally closer to uh, where it needed to be. Right. So, uh, so I appreciated the fact that it tied in a lot. Yeah. Better than, and I'm not ragging on Indiana Jones. I thought I think it works for that those yeah. movies. Yeah, and those are serial. Where this isn't is like again. I liked how it tied that in too. It's like oh, what he just did. Oh no, that's 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 the problem. <laughs> well, you know by by. by killing that beast um you know and i and i like the whole you know again his his wisecracks about the tiara <laughs> TR. right? it's the crown <laughs> slightly than i thought it yeah would be. it was uh yeah it's funny stuff but the fact that it comes to asgard only means more trouble for asgard in the end right and also just um the <clears throat> first interaction with Ragnarok at the beginning of the film was a good foreshadow to what we were going to get at the end. Right. Yeah, it was it was a good setup to the whole film. Sure. Uh, what was your guys going into the movie? What was your interpretation of what Ragnarok actually meant? Because there's several definitions overall the same thing, but you know, there's a whole history just to the word Ragnarok. Right. I just viewed it as an apocalypse that will about to happen on his home planet. Right. I, I viewed it as he needs to save his planet mm-hmm. on his own because of it's an apocalypse. It's a destruction. Mm-hmm. That's the way I looked at it anyways. Yeah. It's, you know. um, yeah, because in, in some sense, obviously, like, it's a great title, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, but it also, like, to a degree is spoiler Yeah. You know, Not but like I don't know how survivor. you avoid that. 
but yeah, <laughs> I I agree <laughs> with that. True. Yeah. Um, Somebody's gonna live, right? But it's it's ambiguous enough where you can like kind of guess what's gonna happen, but you don't fully know all right. the way. So. Yeah, the the magic is in the uh, the the beats of the story. Absolutely. No, we obviously we've we've seen many times the <laughs> world about to end. Are you sure. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's talk Hulk. Uh, you know, we can talk from a marketing perspective as well, um, but we can also start story wise first. Whichever you guys prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, I I generally enjoyed the entrance to Hulk to this film, the whole Spartan Spartans kind of Spartacus kind of deal. Um, I I like that the gladiator kind of because when you when you put two friends quote unquote together, and right. that, you're like, oh shoot, what's gonna happen? They know each other; they can't beat each other up. So um, I thought it was fun, even though it, it's. I don't want to say it was a scene that wasn't needed, but I didn't mind watching it. Um, the fight scene are you yeah, talking? The, the whole gladiator fight mm-hmm. scene and everyone's watching. I, I enjoyed it because this is where Thor actually had to now really fight for his life without right. his hammer. And it was against one of his friends, which is right. completely ironic. So I, I felt like this was one of the first moments where he had to like come to himself in, in, in that way. Right. Um, but it was a good introduction. Like, okay, now he has a friend on this planet. They're going to help each other to get them off of this planet. So right. I, I thought it was just a good setup to the the next step. And, and don't forget too, at the end of Age of Ultron, the last we see of Banner and Hulk is he took a Queen Jet because he needed. You wanted to go into exile. You wanted to go away. Um, so we don't know where we went. And, and apparently, uh, again, I'm not a Marvel comic reader, but I am uh, I'm aware of Planet Hulk. Like, we're, in essence, in that series of comic books, I believe he gets banished. Um, so this one is a, more of a self-banishment, and that's where he ends up. Uh, I liked the Hulk character. I also appreciated the fact that they threw something in because th- that says why he's always the Hulk because after a while I thought he burned out of his power and became Bruce Banner again but at least as Bruce Banner there was a line of dialogue that says there's something here that keeps me on edge like always kept him as because he never he didn't change back to Bruce Banner we see him as the Hulk and then it's a little while after that he changes <laughs> back if I'm correct right and it was like <clears throat> it had to take a humanistic friend family type of moment to snap him back to reality right. it's like waking someone up who's suffering from amnesia you have to like do something personal to maybe like get everything good old scars so like and so, and that's why i think like uh uh thor did a great job of getting banner back well and it because was because it was a personal thing and at least there was i mean i always hate well they go to the Queen Jet. How are we going to get out of here? Queen Jet, Queen Jet, great. So they do this big thing at the Queen Jet, and the Queen Jet ends up being destroyed. destroyed. But the one thing that the Queen the, the Queen Jet did was show Black Widow, which that's too helped uh, with Hulk. Um, I really like the password. In the, pa- <laughs> the password was great. Yeah, that was funny too. Um, I just really I, I enjoyed the characterization of. Hulk, and at this point, you know Eric Banya has played him, Ed Norton has played him, and they—they were both good in their respective movies. Ruffalo now has really owned the Hulk. I can't see anybody else playing him. 
also to that point, I don't, I don't feel, I personally need an individual Hulk movie. I think Hulk works best with a supporting character, with supporting team around him. Because Hulk can be made funny, yet he can still show off his anger. And I think he works best, best with the support team around him, whether it's the Avengers and in this movie, Thor. Um, he doesn't necessarily need his own movie at this point. Yeah, I've, I've never really, you know, I've, I've never really viewed uh, the Hulk as, you know what I mean? I don't have a whole deep history. Like, I know Iron Man, I know Thor, even dating back to, like, when I was a kid. Um, so, for me, just on a personal level, you know, I don't, I don't know how to, like, logically agree with that. But, yeah, yeah, I, I've never had the personal sense that I needed a Hulk movie. So, I, I agree. And just the Hulk character itself, when he's in Hulk form, he's hard to talk to. You can't like talk to him and c- converse with him in a regular conversation like a human would during a battle or something. So it's it's just a hard character to co- literally communicate to. Yeah, and in this movie, you I thought they did a good a job for that. Yeah, well, in this movie, I thought they did a good job because he was actually holding semblance of conversation at the same time he was getting greater <laughs> than where he talked. I grew up during the television series with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. As an episodic, Hulk works because it was an hour long, in essence, a mystery show. Um, you know, Bruce Banner, he's, he's walking the earth like Kane from Kung Fu and he comes across, you know, he has to help somebody and eventually somebody makes him angry. He hulks out and he helps the people who need help. Um, while he's being hunted down. So, episodically, that show was great. Uh, the movies, you know, the, the Eric Banner one, it was the Ang Lee version. Nah. Mm. I like the second one better. Uh, and, and Ed Norton played him great, and he played a great banner. But like I said, I think Ruffalo at this point has really made it his own. And well, even the facial as Hulk, he looked more like Ruffalo in this movie than he did in the the, the, the past two Avengers, I think. I think they got it down perfect. Well, as far as, you know, Marvel's intervention, this is where Kevin Feige, for the most part, they had a lot of discussion because, you know, getting this tone right for the Hulk would have a lot of, um, uh, you know, the ramifications moving forward, right? And so they had to get that perfect. So even down to his speech pattern, they were very specific of, of okay, how he's going to perform speech and so forth so uh you know so you guys are bringing that up and and you know to that effect it worked yeah and and the fight scene too just to sort of kind of hash that out one of the biggest things is like because loki was there right they had to do the hulk (laughs) the the avenger smash thing right and that was his, that was right his first goal is to try to figure out okay how do, how am I going to turn the tables? There are actually two try to there was that callback was used in this and, and Loki was great and yeah. I love when it's Loki how it feels <laughs> everybody in the movie except for the audience knew who was going to come busting out that door and when Loki sees him I thought his re- where, where Thor's like yeah Loki's like oh shit <laughs> and he was great he's trying to. Me. He's trying to hide. That entrance w- was was really it, it became bigger. Um, so the hardest thing too was figuring out for them Thor's reaction. They actually f- 
filmed a couple of things, like where he was either angry at Hulk, they had one where he was frightened of Hulk, but for the beats of this movie, it just, the idea that he was excited to see him, just, it fit in. If he was anything else but excited, it would have gone against the grain to what we've already seen up to that point, movie-wise. Right. So, um, and the, chore- the choreography um, is... You know, what could you do to the Hulk that you couldn't do to a normal person because it's too gruesome? So when Thor had him in a bit of a rear naked choke and Hulk was slamming him down, he goes, I wanted Thor to grab his eyelid and stretch it out. Probably was a bit too goofy, but I was trying to think of stuff that you could do with these max power guys that you couldn't do in a regular fist fight. Hmm. So, but again, I think Marvel, I think the, there was that balance. Let's not make this too goofy. Mm-hmm. We just want to be entertaining. So um, then, of course, there's the naked Hulk and the, the <laughs> ad lib line of, yeah, that's in my brain now. <laughs> like, that's funny. Mm-hmm. That's funny stuff. Um, I want to go so, back to the to the gladiator arena from a production standpoint, yeah. uh, simply because, you know, us that's three huge. can name plenty of gladiator, st- you know, moments and not just the, the movie, the gladiator, but um, other movies as well. And they, they were very conscious of that going forward. So they said, okay, well, how do we also update this? Right. Um, and so essentially they kind of took the design of, of Gladiator Times and, you know, mixed it with, as they say, Alien. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I didn't necessarily think about it too much, but I appreciate that they certainly did. And I, I thought it looked great in terms of the arena. I liked it. It worked. And also had that... Um it had that like nice mix of an, a fan base, like a, a game, like you're going because those essentially yes. gladiator games were for entertainment. But the the idea that they had all the the Hulk merchandise and right. they were all there, it it gave that sense of like, oh, these are fans who like really love the Hulk. It gave like a like a like a football game. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like a, football, a regular WWE, yeah. UFC, yeah, whatever. Like you want a regular to. sports yeah. entertainment game, and that's what I think they did. Right, because Absolutely. visually it was cool. Um, they had the whole oval type of stadium, and I, for some reason, it just worked. Yeah, and the way that they built the stadium too was unlike everybody. More or less, was forced to stand. If you noticed, and there was a conscious decision to make that so that everybody's focusing on that, and 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 again. Unlike Gladiator, it's like Shakespeare, Shakespeare uh, theaters, Shakespeare, everyone sure. had to stand. And, and but unlike say Gladiator, were I mean yes, these people these people were more like watching a wrestling match than they were watching a fight to the death, you know. And people could die, as we learned from those other two new characters that we meet mm-hmm. there. Um, it, it just was it was fun to see like the big Hulk smash hands, the masks that people were wearing, like uh, it was. Again, they just made it. They had fun with it. Um, we know we're, it's going to be a quote-unquote comic book kind of a fight. Uh, it's a set piece. And I think they delivered, even though, and we'll talk about marketing, even though it was given away pretty much the showdown, what was going to happen in the trailer. I mean, this was in one of the first trailers that we see. Hulk. I mean, th- this, this was like, you know, uh, generally... You always have like kind of like a comedic beat towards the end. This was sure. the comedic beat, and so you know it's very hard. Like if they tried to hide that in the middle of the uh, of the trailer, would be one thing. But this was like the lasting bit ingrained in everyone's mind as part of all the trailer campaigns that I remember. 
Uh-huh. I yeah. agree. It's true. It, it was interesting. I gave this I gave the marketing a lot of thought cuz I was thinking as I was leaving the theater, would it have been better served had I not known the Hulk was in this movie? And then he came as Doctor Strange as a complete surprise. I would have been very, I would have been like, oh, oh, oh my God, that's great. And it would have had an impact. But then I started thinking of the dollars and cents of it all. You need to get butts and seats. And something that will excite people you had to use Hulk as part of the marketing campaign. Where they were wise is that they didn't give away the whole fight. They gave away bits and pieces like, well, they made us fight in the thing. Yeah, who won? I did. Well, that doesn't make sense. But we really don't know who won that fight. And it was a close fight. Right. But, and it in just fact, literally, it cuts. Thor was going to win until Goldblum took out the thing because everybody was so disappointed and were probably going to lose money because <laughs> they were betting on Hulk. So I didn't know where the fight was going. So that was good. I just knew what was going to, I, I knew who was going to square off. Also, on. the thing is, I mean, you guys probably saw more marketing and trailers for this film than I did. I really, I don't even recall seeing the trailer for this film. So I wasn't aware that Hulk was going to be in it. I wasn't aware that Doctor Strange was going to be in it. But every reveal, I enjoyed it, even if I didn't know. So because when Hulk showed up, I was like, oh, it's the Hulk. Cool. You know? Yeah. It, it, was, was, I, it didn't spoil me whatsoever. Really? Because, I, I mean, I saw the trailer in a lot of movies this past summer. Um you know, and the Hulk was in it, but it was a, again from a marketing standpoint, one of the finest tra- trailers put together because it was it was they used this great deception because when he's in that net, right? We thought I, I thought, anyways, that that was I didn't know that was the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. and like I thought he, we were going to get the whole movie in like a flashback kind of thing, but that's the mm-hmm. beginning of the movie. He's fighting a completely different villain. When we see Hulk come in, it's like oh, Hulk's going to be that, and. Watching the trailer with an audience, as soon as Hulk smashes through, everybody's like, yeah. And what makes it even better is Hemsworth's reaction. Go, yeah. <laughs> he goes, we work together. <laughs> it's, it was a good payoff. And I'm like, okay, I've seen the trailer a bazillion times. How's this going to work? We've talked about this. How many times do you see a comedy, right? And we see the funniest stuff in the trailer. And then when you see the movie... We've seen this a bazillion times, and it just doesn't work as well. My only issue with it, I'm not necessarily upset that they gave it away. It's just then the whole justification of like, well, you're going to die. Watch out. No one's really lived. Then it just becomes such wasted time on screen. Then let's just move forward. Let's get to that moment. I'll enjoy it. It'll be fine. Right. Um, so, and again, it's a balance. Like, you're not cutting the movie based on, like, the reaction to the trailer. Like, the, mo- right. the movie, the, the trailer's a reaction to the film itself. Yeah, as soon as it gets on that planet, we know what the eventuality is going to be, right. is what you're saying. You just yeah. tighten that up. Let's just get there already. Cause yeah. We know what's going to happen. Um, but obviously, we, we get our two friends um, from that that start two the rebellion. Characters. They start the rebellion, the resistance, <laughs> the, resistance. <laughs> the, the revengers, assemble. Um, so I, I, I rather enjoyed that um, for sure. Um, and by the way, played by the director. Yeah, he was really funny. 
That was a really good character. Yeah, I loved him. Well, I, I love the voice because uh, <laughs> e- even the the director said it, it would be funny when they were watching the dailies. They did a lot of um, different takes and different tests for the voice and how it would fit with this character. And they thought it would be uh, really funny if we had this big, literally rock character, but with a delicate voice. Right. That makes for a good laugh. Korg. Korg. Yeah. He he's, was, uh, he's yeah, funny. Korg was really good. And, you know, we also had, uh, you know, we didn't talk about I- Idris Alba, a small role yet integral to, mm-hmm. to, to moving the plot along, you know. Um, I did want to talk, too. I mean, for me, the one poor guy that was left humorless, and I don't think it was because, it's not because of his acting ability. I really think in the script, he just, there was no way to lend humor to the character. It was Scourge, played by Carl Urban. You know? Well, he wasn't. Yeah. He was not. He wasn't really a comical character. No, not at all. But a redeemable character. Uh, redeemable. Like he had a different arc. You know, I mean, he's basically, essentially, is turning and he's a quizzling. He's turning in his own people to save himself. But there were also and, moments where the camera was on him, and you can tell he had a conscience yes. and he felt that he's like, "Ah, oh, crap! What yeah. did I just do?" Um. So you knew that he had there. There was some semblance of like, "Oh, this guy, we can save him. He's salvageable." Right. You know, um, you're at the end. You're rooting for him because you know he's right. ultimately a good person. Yeah. You know, I, and and he was good. He, you know, he was just the only character that didn't have any type of a comedic beat, and I just think that's because of that character's arc. Um, because it, it really wasn't humorous. It was, it was feeling guilty for what he did, and and, and it's it's a question of where's my moral. His moral compass was a little bit off, and you know he had to find true north again. Well, that's because so he was influenced by Loki for quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> right. So. And also, he was next to Hela the whole time. It's hard yeah. to be comedic when you have of a villain no, literally absolutely. right behind you who could kill you. Absolutely. Oh, they would have been like, that's a big dog, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, You're so fluffy. You know. Um, but it was a good role for him. I liked it. I liked yeah, him. Me too. Yeah. And I think he's a great actor. Too. Oh, absolutely. And everything else he's done. Do not disagree. I do want to talk about the ending in particular because there's the ending that was originally shot and then it was reshot. Um, and so obviously we get the reshoot part of it. Um, although, you know, uh, Marissa, since you already admitted you, you, you didn't pay as close attention to the marketing, uh, so Dimitri, I'm going to hopefully lean on you a little bit more for this. In the trailers, we got different scenes. Like we, we were all fighting um, Hella on the, on the, on the bridge. But that didn't really happen. Right. You know, everything was separate. Um, and I sort of wanted to see, A, what research you found into as to why things changed the way they did and for what purpose. You know, I don't and, – and it's funny that you say that about the trailer because there was another scene that wasn't in the movie that I was looking forward to seeing when, when our team of Revengers is walking on the bridge and Loki has his uh, daggers – and in the trailer, like he just he's like flipping them up and catching them, you know, cool mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but I think part of it is is um, they wanted to what we do know about Thor as of right now, because I think it was a D twenty three. Thor is found by the Guardians of the Galaxy. He's alone in space, and the way that this movie ends by being on this ship. You can make a strong assumption that that's Thanos 
mm-hmm. then he wreaks havoc. Now, I don't know what happens. We don't know what happens to the Aegis Guardians. All we really do know is they needed to get to this point. How do we get to this point without... We need this arc. How do we get there? And how does it... We've taken so much... And I think it goes back to what we were saying before. Marvel, you can improvise all you want. You've got to get to a point here. That originally... The way it's originally shot may not get us there cleanly. Where this does... Um, where this fight scene does, that's where they needed to be. Um, so we will, as as an audience, when we get to that Infinity War Part 1, the Avengers, uh, poor Thor will be floating in space to be picked up by the Guardians of the Galaxy. That's not a spoiler. Um, again, that's something that was mentioned uh, uh, in D23. Um, for those that went, <laughs> for those that went, but it, it, it made the news outlets too. Right. I, I, I don't mean to, you know, if you, I, it, it's not anything that that's like a huge, huge spoiler. We know that they had to get here, and hence this is how the Guardians of the Galaxy, the part two ends. They're gonna, quote unquote, come across Thor. Mm-hmm. From there, we'll hear. For all I know, we could even see that battle, much to what you were saying about Doctor Strange. Like, we could see a continuation of that, but how do you get there? How do you get there from the destruction of Asgard, getting people onto the Ark? It sort of reminded me of that scene in Dunkirk. <laughs> it's like getting everybody on the right. boat. Um, so that's, that's the only thing. I mean, I, wasn't, I didn't see much as far. There wasn't much insight as to. They weren't giving us too many hints about, yeah. like, why they were reshooting it. I can only go by Marvel yeah, but yes, I did. I did notice scenes that weren't in the movie. Yeah. Um, well, well, it's interesting too. You know, uh, this isn't D twenty three, but um, it is Comic Con. You know, when you talk about this movie, they pr- almost had it down to like an hour and a half, but then they added a lot of the jokes back in to bring it up to two hours and ten minutes. Let's say. Right. Um, so it's interesting. That's that's the first time overall that I've heard. You know, especially a superhero movie that it can. Because like cut down to that length, mm-hmm. that's pretty damn good. Yeah. Um. But you know, I, I'm glad they also inserted that humor. I do think they could have, like I said, I, I I picked out the moments that I think they could have pulled back on. Could have gotten us to two hours. I think that would have been actually a, a slightly more perfect. Yeah. Length. What was it? Two fifteen all in, maybe. Mm, give or take. Yeah. 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 Give or take. And two again, two fifteen. Yeah, two ten. On that planet, they could have tightened up. Going back to Asgard, certain things maybe tightened up. Um. Uh, what we can talk about too um, one of the best kept secrets I mean I thought was seeing Matt Damon <laughs> seeing <laughs> Sam Neill uh, who, who am I missing here That there, there was the other uh, cameo uh, Luke Hemsworth Luke Hemsworth <laughs> well, let me ask you, some people are like Matt Damon's written himself out of the MCU and it's like they could reuse him if they if he or they really <laughs> wanted to like come on does it really yeah. matter? Like, I, to be honest, I didn't even know that that was Matt Damon. Like, oh, <laughs> I really? laughed so hard. I, I was laughing him. hard, too. I, I was, yeah, I was laughing hard, too. Because I mean, it, we it just saw him in Rubicon. I right, was like... No, it's Suburbicon. Suburb, Rubicon, um, Suburbicon. Because we, like, literally we talked about Suburbicon, <laughs> I and I saw Thor not one hour later. So <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, what is happening? Um, I, I love that appearance because it was so... Um, 
laughing at himself that's what made it likable and funny because matt damon he he's academy award winner very serious and and big in in the industry but when he can take a fun moment like that just to have fun and laugh at himself you're like all right that's the self-aware humor that was great i thought it was great too and when you see him it was like ah my god yeah right it was it was it was good very well again the secrets that they decided to keep i thought were great because it really did add and i'm so glad that this movie had those surprise moments um and I, I go, just throwing back to Guardians, that's what I think made that first one so fun is because there were surprises. The humor was coming from so many unexpected places that it had just never been done uh, within the Marvel Universe that way. Um, and it's good to be surprised uh, because we get, you know, these superhero movies are sort of kind of taking over, right? Those are Not the ones. sort of. <laughs> well, uh, the ones they're these big tent poles. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I give Marvel credit, Marvel and Disney credit, for at least trying to keep it fresh. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise, they'll play out to be the same movie over and over. Superhero, villain, the villain gets the upper hand. Superhero wins, saves the day, saves the planet, saves the universe. Up, oh, there's a part two. How do you keep it fresh in 17, 17 movies? And and by the way, is seventeen movies at number one. Well, also that, but office. you know, I also, I also like you can talk about the MCU, but I also put it as for part of a obviously a larger universe, which is our actual sure, Earth sure, and everything in that nature. And so it's you know, if it was just seventeen superhero movies, okay, maybe, but like we are just saturated left and because right, you have X Men. You have now the DC. I mean, we're we're one week away from uh, Justice from, League. From Justice League. Absolutely. Which, by the way, check out DC Movie News because they have Cyborg in. Nice. Yeah. Interviewing him right now. Ray Fisher, you guys. Um, anyway, uh, and so there's just, and I'm sure I'm forgetting a handful of other superhero movies, standalone and otherwise. There's Spider-Man Homecoming. They brought that in. Oh, don't forget there was really huge news that came out this week that Disney was is looking to purchase um, 20th, 21st century, which in, which would, would include huge. Fantastic Four, which would include X-Men. Um, I mean, it doesn't huge. surprise me as to why they would be trying to do that. Um, so you have to keep this fresh. I've always said, when's this bubble going to burst? And, you know, with the numbers that Thor put in, and we'll see what, what Justice League does. We know what Wonder Woman did. Um, Spider-Man Homecoming did very well. Ant-Man did okay. Um, Guardians 2 did well, as well as Guardians. These movies keep on pulling in bucks. I don't know when the bubble will break. Um, people still go to them. But I think in part where Marvel is smart is that they have reinvented the character. Now I'm curious to know... What are they going to do with Iron Man? What will they do? I mean, we know we're going to get another Captain America movie. You know, how are we going to put uh, uh, this new Avengers? Because they're already starting to integrate. We got Black Panther coming out pretty soon, too. Mm-hmm. Right? That's very right. So we've got these new characters coming in. Maybe our older ones aren't going to play as much, like have their own movies as outside of maybe coming in for an Avengers kind of a movie. But in a sense, with Ragnarok, they reinvented Thor so that he can be in some more standalone movies. 
right now and keep it try to keep it fresh i think that's their biggest issue um i don't know when people will tire of them they don't seem to be tiring of them anytime soon disney it seems puts one out every other week (laughs) i mean hey it's a matter of if you do it well i mean it's obviously a hard thing to pull off and you know there's no trajectory apart from you know their only sort of example is just tv you know and we're in the golden age of tv as you know we i don't know if you know but we're in the golden age of tv mm-hmm. as stated by many critics and so uh you know you could sort of look at that and and just build a great story around that um and eventually i don't know maybe package it and that's like anthology number one and then we reset the phases back to phase one with yeah. whatever and you know right so um using the ryan murphy yeah, sort it's, of anthology. It's just going to be very interesting. I, they obviously have a plan. Um, you know, again, like I'm just saying, I wait for the bubble to burst. Like when, you know, when Marvel will have? They haven't quite had a stinkeroo. Like, yeah, you can say Iron Man two wasn't wasn't great. It wasn't god awful. Um, you know, Ant Man may not have done like as big as some other movies. Like but Thor. It was solid. Thor is the third movie in the Thor franchise, and it's the movie that has made the most out of those Thor the three. Usually that doesn't happen. You don't make more money than your first two movies and be equally as good, if not better, some would argue, than the first two movies. That's so X Men Apocalypse proved that. Yeah, but that's so rare. Yeah, Hunger Games this time. Part three did. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just so one. rare that that happens. So, um, you know, the, the one other thing that was very different in this movie, too, that we didn't talk about was the music. Yes, so let's talk about that. Um, it's certainly very interesting. Uh, you know, we talked about, like, and I, 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 we talked about it in the sense that Immigrant Hands was really kind of the inspiration and the jump off. And then, uh, it, song, yep. and, mm-hmm. and in a sense, uh, you know, we've made sense of, like, the 80s and so forth. Like, a lot of that was sort of in there. Um, and it feel, you know, I, I, I'd have to really listen back to it, but it almost felt like, you know, in those old sitcoms, they had kind of the riffs between transitions. I'm telling you, watch Flash Gordon. I well, they did listening. too. Yeah. So as part of like everyone's homework, they were told yeah. to watch Flash Gordon, yeah. uh, before they started production. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you get Brian May's Gee. guitar solos from Queen, like, okay. So first off, Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo. From Devo. <laughs> From Devo scored this movie. And his whole inspiration, and I didn't even know this really existed, but apparently in 2016 there was a video essay. I'll send you the notes. We can put this video essay up. And it basically said, why aren't the film scores memorable in the Marvel Universe like as they are in other franchises? I don't find it to be particularly overly fair because I can easily say the same thing about a bunch of other movies and the DC movies. There's outside of John Williams Superman score and maybe uh the uh, new Wonder Woman theme I read really, But that's anything John Williams comes from sort of kind of Batman versus Superman and Yeah, you know, I know it was but, it was but very cro- Elfman's Batman, but it was yeah. crowbarred in. Yeah. Is I think what you're gonna say. So it's not that it's it's really it's it's a tough argument, but there is no Avengers theme, so to speak. I mean, I can hum a few bars for the X-Men theme. They have their own theme. But I think where they took this was 
there's a lot of orchestration, but there's a lot of electronic. Like you said, 80s. There's a lot of electronica in this synth kind of 80s Flash Gordon, <laughs> you know, um, that I felt. But it added to this movie. Again, it fit the tone perfectly for this movie. Um, it's a fun soundtrack to listen to on its own. However, I will say this. If you ask me to hum a Thor theme, I ain't got it. I, I just don't have it. Um, so I still think that they're in that that, that quandary of yeah. th- there's nothing that unifies uh, these characters. Like, there isn't... I, I can't I can sort of think of an Avengers theme, but it doesn't... Marissa, what about out. for you? I, I agree, and because, you know, I, re- I read the same interview, too, but also uh, Mothersboro, <laughs> uh, he... He also said, you know, why it's hard and why he thinks um, there, there isn't as many memorable scores in the last few big epic films like this. Um, and he, he also says that the composers have been getting squeezed over the last few decades, um, meaning that he says, I guess sometimes maybe it works a lot of times, and especially in the cases of films they were pointing to um, in this YouTube clip that they had to watch to get inspiration for, um, it started sounding like musical wallpaper. So basically he's saying that like composers have been pressured to... Um, there, there's a time pressure for them to create soundtracks now because we generally know composers do the music after things have been filmed and it's during the editing process. They only sometimes get a month, a couple months, a couple weeks if they're lucky. Um, to compose something for an entire film. So he's saying that there's been less time to create more epic scores. Um, Given back in the 80s, they had more time to actually really compose and write and um, do everything for music, but now they only have a handful of weeks to maybe a couple months to create something. I'm glad you mentioned... Something that's rushed maybe won't be as memorable. I'm glad you mentioned Wallpaper. Because the last time we had John Ottman on, his biggest complaint was exactly that. Most composers, they just are doing wallpaper. Mm-hmm. They aren't making the suites, um, which is very interesting because if you get the soundtrack through Ragnarok off of Apple, um, the first song, the first track on it is called Thor Ragnarok Suite, and it goes for about a good 10 minutes. It's an actual suite. Um, but... Mothersburg, Ottman are correct. They're not taking the time to come up with themes for a character like John Williams in the day, and maybe even today, but he would have... Well, even today, he makes a theme for Rey. He would have made a theme for Valkyrie. Like, Valkyrie Mm -hmm. would have her own specific theme. Uh, When you listen to the John Williams soundtrack, you know the Princess Leia theme. You know the Darth Vader uh, they all had different sounds. Right. They, and that that kind of composure today is not really seen uh, in soundtracks where you can relate uh, a song or music cue to a character. Um, and he's right. So I still can't figure out the Thor theme. It's a good soundtrack. And you can hear all the electronic and the guitar riffs. Um, Even the song that we opened up to, I mean, it's a memorable, recognizable song. And, and again, taking it's taking a page from where, where Guardians used that kind of source music off of the cassette tape 
you know, we didn't get it. Like, we didn't get it here. But you had the immigrant song from Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And that becomes a... That's... It's, in that fight scene... That, that's, it, that fight scene was great. That's the other thing, too. If you're seeing it again, I urge you gotta go the biggest and best type of screen and sound system possible. Because, okay, forget about just hearing, like, the ships and the fights. When you hear the immigrant song playing Led Zeppelin's song over there, that... Oh, during that fight scene? Oh, it's just awesome. Well, there was two fight scenes they used it in. Right. Yeah. It became a motif. Motif. Indeed. Oh, uh, I liked it. All right. Yeah, me too. So, I agree with you guys. Um, so, let's let's move on to pure numbers. Um, we, uh, you heard us say it came in at, it was number one movie again, so, and I don't think there was like, going to be any doubt in anyone's mind. It was just a matter of how much it was actually going to make. Right. Uh, projections initially had it at 100 to 125 million, um, and uh, overall, uh, so many numbers here. What did we come in at for the weekend? For the weekend, it was 100. It ended up being 122. They announced on Sunday. They they um, theorized or they, they guesstimated 121. Sunday ended up being an even bigger, robust day for them. So they ended up doing a, a million plus more than what they anticipated on Sunday. Um, so they get 122. But here's here's the here's the kicker of it all. All right. So to date, as of November 8th. Thor has done 147, let's just say 148, because it's 147.96. So 148 million, okay? That's as as of November 8th. Let's talk about foreign. That's 29.5% of the box office. It opened up overseas as well. 354 million dollars. That's seventy point five percent of the worldwide gross <laughs> is from the foreign markets, with a total of five. It's went over five hundred and two million dollars. This is the third in a Thor series. Mm-hmm. That's pretty. That's quite impressive. To me, it's it's the start of the holiday season for sure. This is like what Fast and Furious did by opening up early April. Kicking off summer where it used to be Memorial Day, we'd kick off summer. Now, forget Thanksgiving. Now we're releasing movies early in November. And this movie's going to last right through Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's only competition is coming up realistically is Justice League. <clears throat> so we'll see how those two battle off against each other. But, I mean, but, but Thor still has quote unquote, and not to diss the movies that are coming out this, this weekend, which well, are this murder, weekend. On the Orient Express yes. and Daddy's Home too. They don't stand a chance against yeah. this. No, so it's sort of again. I'm not disparaging those studios. It's a free pass for Thor in its second weekend, which was smart for um, Warner Brothers to not come in on Thor's second weekend because that would have that could have it could have dinged Warner Brothers. Give it two weeks because um, I forget the exact date. November seventeenth. It's the seventeenth that Justice League is coming out, and then you've got then you've got the holiday weekend. Then you've got you know mm-hmm. Monday, Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday, Thanksgiving. You've got Friday, Saturday, Black Friday, where a lot of people go to movies on Black Friday. Yeah. It's going to be crowded at your multiplexes, folks. 
<laughs> it's going to be Coco is going to be coming out pretty soon. So that's also Disney. Disney, yeah. Jeez, oh, Pixar, man. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't think <laughs> two different audiences at the end of the day. Right. But, but that's the, that's the counter programming. Coco's going to do but, well but too. Coco is the family film, and and I could and I would argue in a sense. I saw a lot of kids in the theater when I was watching. Coco. I saw a lot of dads with their kids. Yeah, I, I saw um, some moms too, um, but. You're right. It's it's a Pixar movie. It's well, Hunger Force looks good. Movies. You know, I mean, I'm like, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, listen. I'm you know. You know. It's pretty okay, I knew in that. Film. I knew that part of you know. And, and like there there was a moment not to like completely objectify him. But go but ahead. There was a moment in this film where he was shirtless. You know, yeah. and he was just walking around. I was like, this is so for the ladies. Who, Absolutely. Who might, there like, you go. I'll just never. I gotta bring like, it up but, because. I've seen yeah, the Thor I mean, movies with with Brenda. She like he's a physical guy. He's a physical guy, <laughs> and she would him. always, whenever he was on screen, Thor. In in his other movies, he had a, you know, it was I always got the hubba hubba, <laughs> like you know, and I, I get it. Sure, I can't, you know. And she's got it, you know. Then she went home with me. <laughs> it's always, it's always, it's always tough going with a significant other to a movie when a guy looks that good. And then he's talented, the son of a matter. bitch. It matters <laughs> who you go home with at the end of that, the day. That is absolutely true. I just remember Hubba Hubba. And, 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 and Tom Hiddleston, too. Just a Tom Hiddleston fan. I mean, but, he's but not he, shirtless, I mean, but... But him as Loki is like more of a Hubba yeah. ew. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's creepy. Did you like him better with the... Oh, here's a thing. Here's a, here's a thing uh, that, that uh, Hemsworth talked about. Uh, his eye patch. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, yeah, so I yeah. go into this movie. They got to cut off my hair. It was, thank God, I finally got rid of that atrocious wig and having that around. Now they give me an eye patch. He goes, and that thing is so cumbersome and uncomfortable. <laughs> he goes, I got rid of one win. thing, only they get another thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, at least he at least he got to do his comedy, right? The, right? You know, they decided specifically like him from vacation, him and Ghostbusters, and they're like, this guy can do comedy. Okay. Let's go for it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you win some, you lose some. Yeah. Uh, but overall, they've been winning the box office. They're winning overall with Rotten Tomatoes at ninety three. Uh, last I checked, and a cinema score of A. So uh, as it reads, exciting, funny, and above all. Uh, fun Thor Ragnarok is a colorful cosmetic advent- cosmic adventure that sets a new standard for its franchise and the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yep. So, yeah. Lots to look forward to there. Absolutely. Any final thoughts before we uh, wrap this out? Um, overall, visually, I, I've always liked the colorful world of Asgard, and I was kind of sad when it got destroyed. I'm the like, bridge. oh, man, that bridge. Darn it. Um, you could just go to Asgard just to be on the bridge. Um, I I thought it was such a cool overall visual look of and I and I've liked it since the the first movie. I just think that the whole planet, that whole yeah. area, is it's gorgeous to look at. Yeah, and, and to your point, right? That's a palace. Let's look at the three Thor movies. We have three very distinct, different directors. Kenneth Branagh does the first one. Okay. Again, the bridge, just gorgeous. Asgard, gorgeous. First time we see that cinematically. Dark World was Alan Taylor. It's a little bit darker. Asgard sort of remains the same. And the bridge, again, that, that, that rainbow bridge is great. Uh, and now, coming into Ragnarok, again, this was far more colorful. 
like the color palette of this movie than the first two. Like Dark World was admittedly it was dark. dark. <clears throat> um but I have to say too, uh because I, 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 I'm a big fan of three D. I have a three D TV. And oh I have Dark World. I watched it in three D. The bridge in three D looks awesome, by the way. Sure if you haven't seen it, it looks great. But this movie, um, fantastic in 3D and the bigger again the bigger the better because it's so colorful and vibrant as I said before it's the movie that we needed we're coming off of heavy films I love Blade Runner but that's a heavy film like it's not the movie that I'm like oh I feel so good oh yeah that's great and then when we had Snowman Dark uh, Dark and just just a mess Suburbicon Dark Suburbicon Dark thematically I finally got a movie where I came out of the theater and felt good. I felt like that was a good time. I had a good time. Not perfect, but I had a good time. It's the movie we need going into the holidays. Right. I hope uh, I hope it keeps up. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. We, we appreciate you. Don't forget to check back in as other movies come up, whether it is next week we're going to do Murder on the Orient Express, yeah. and we've got Justice League and Coco and all these things that we've been mentioning. Uh, certainly uh, Star Wars in December. So lots to look forward to. Also, in our rear window, <laughs> or rear view, we have so many uh, so many other movies that we've done. Well, we have the MCU. We have the MCU. Yeah. We've covered the Thor movies. Yeah, we've, we've covered, covered the Thor movies. Uh, you can check the John Ottman talking about wallpaper, so you can talk about, you know, tie that into our composer. I just find it funny that the guy's from Devo. <laughs> Indeed. But so definitely, um, and let us know your thoughts. Let us know your opinion. Um, that's what the comment section is for. You guys have been absolutely wonderful. Um, so please do continue. Continue. We continue to encourage you and uh, let, let a friend know that we're here. Uh, in the meantime, uh, at Serafini TV. That's right. At D Movies seventeen oh one. Yes, please support me. Been having a lot of fun with the Twitters lately. There you go. <laughs> We're going to have more fun. 280 characters now. There you go. At Phil Svitek and, of course, at the Popcorn Talk here. Um, As I may mention, if you're a Justice League fan, check out the uh, DC Movie News interview. um, And we'll be talking about Justice League in a few weeks' time as well. Um, Thank you, guys, as always. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. this has been Anatomy of a Movie. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.